Today I want to continue in our series in John. Uh, last Sunday I had the opportunity to go to our Jennings campus. And man, I just want to say I'm, I was so, so blessed and so fired up. I, I preached three services. I, I haven't preached three services in a very long time. Needless to say, I was youth camp tired after preaching three services last Sunday. But man, just all the new people in Jennings, just super fired up about that. Um, lo, lo, loads of families that I've never met before. And so it was really good. It's, it's a blessing for me to go back to Jennings because I was there when it started. And it was just a handful of people. And now to see that it's seven, eight hundred people and they're at three services and they're jam-packed and it's just, it's just awesome. So just super proud of what God's doing there. I heard Pastor JJ did an incredible job uh, preaching and teaching last Sunday. So, so grateful for that. Um, so today I want to continue in the series. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for this message. Jesus, thank you for what you said in John chapter 6. Thank you for the great lesson you taught. Thank you for pushing the envelope. Thank you for pushing truth towards us. Lord, I ask you to open our hearts and minds this morning, every one of us. I pray that you would grace us to let go of our concerns and worries and schedules and everything else, that we would let go of our pains and hurts from last week and disappointments. And I pray, Lord, that right now in this moment, we would open our hearts to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1875, Aaron Montgomery Ward coined a phrase that some of you are familiar with. He coined the phrase. He was the first one to say it. He was the first one to say, I'm going to sell you my products, and I'm going to give you a satisfaction guarantee. He printed it. He was the first person to say it. He was also the first person to print it back in 1875 when he, all he had was a catalog. He would send out a, a mail-out catalog with all of his, his goods in it, and you could order and mail order and all these different things, and he would put a satisfaction guaranteed statement on each one of his products. Now, we all know back in those days, products were a lot better than they are today, Come on, somebody. Anybody got an old rice cooker that's green, a little faded, still kicking? <laughs> Come on. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> somebody might would have bought you a new one that don't work all the time. But he coined this phrase, satisfaction guaranteed. And I want to show you something today. That's the title of my message is satisfaction guaranteed. I want to show you something, though. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, even Satan himself, Satan actually was the first one to coin the phrase, though he didn't say it directly, satisfaction guaranteed. When he tricked Eve into biting from the apple, from eating from the tree, he promised her a satisfaction and he put a guarantee on it. And from that time until now, man, the world... Culture is promising you satisfaction guaranteed. Here's the million-dollar question. Has it happened? Has anything ever satisfied you completely and never let you down? So that's what I want to talk about today. Everywhere we turn, there's companies that are promising satisfactions. Car companies, we know that not to be true. I used to be a prideful Ford man, they break down too. 
That's right. I said it in church. Somebody better write it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I might not ever say it again, but I said it. Material goods. Making promises. What about this one? Pharmaceutical companies. Making, making promises. How many of you watch the commercials and laugh that you take this drug, it'll fix this, but then real fast and real softly, they'll tell you a list of 10 things it's going to make could potentially cause. Right? I get that. I mean, I, and I take pharmaceuticals at times, and I, and I appreciate them, and I thank God for them. But, but, like, sometimes you go, hang on a second. Like, I think what I got might be better than what it might give me. I'm just saying. But it makes promises to satisfy guaranteed. And so today I want to show you how Jesus gave this promise to us, and he is the only one who can fully satisfy us. Amen? So I'm going to give you four points, and I'm going to give you about 11 blessings at the end. <laughs> we'll call them that. Here's my first thought. When we get into John chapter 6, if you're taking notes, Jesus separates wants from needs. How many of you know that to be true? We typically come to Jesus with our wants, convinced that they're our needs, but if you spend some quality time with Jesus, most of the time he, he, he convinces you or shows you that your want is not necessarily your need at all. In fact, your want is just something that came out of your deepest need. But you'll never discover that if you don't ever spend time with Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus, I'm just going to warn you, Jesus says some crazy stuff. In John chapter 6, from about this point on, he says some stuff. It's, it's just crazy. He doesn't start out that hard, but he pushes an issue. Watch this, John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus answered them, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you want the signs, or not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes. Somebody needs to underline that. <laughs> but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So this crowd, if you'll remember, two weeks ago, Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He fed the 5,000 with, with some bread and some fish, which wasn't, which wasn't nearly enough to satisfy the crowd. But Jesus satisfied thousands of people with a very minute amount of food. And they, and they saw the miracle. They experienced the miracle. They were satisfied with the miracle. And then that night, that afternoon, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat to go to the other side. What well, the disciples do, Jesus stays they run up on a storm. Jesus comes walking on the water. That whole, that's Pastor JJ's message. It was incredible. And then they end up on the other side. Well, that 5,000 people that he fed followed him. They followed him. Him and the disciples had to take a boat and have a miracle to get to the other side in the time frame that they got to the other side. I ain't got time to go into it, but the wind was blowing against them. And the Bible tells us that all the other boats were on the shore. So these people took boats, but watch this. Some of them walked. We got a hard time making it to church sometimes. 
in a car with some air conditioning in it. Come on, somebody. They walked. They walked around to go see Jesus, and they were looking for some more bread and some more fish. This is one thing they learned about Jesus. He can feed me. He can feed me. And they walked for miles to get what Jesus has. But here's the problem. They're coming after him for the perishable things that he can provide. And they're not yet aware of the everlasting things that he can provide. So what he satisfied in the feeding of the 5,000, how many of you know one meal can only last so long? I'm a three squares a day kind of guy. I barely make it from one square to two squares. Come on, somebody. Anybody feel my pain? I've learned the art of snacking. Come on. Not you, Jay. No. You graze, my boy. <laughs> but they're coming after him for the perishable things that he can provide. Jesus teaches them something in this moment when he addresses the crowd. He makes this statement, do not labor for food that perishes, but labor for everlasting life. I, I'm going to get up in your business for a minute because some of you work too much. Some of you stress too much about work. Some of you work too hard to make a living. Some of you are sacrificing your family on the altar of provision. As if you're the king of provision in your life. Last time I read my Bible, God fed a whole nation from the sky. But we're killing ourselves trying to do God's job. Amen? And the whole time, the, the clock's ticking, and we've got families that are being sacrificed on the altars. Jesus is like, man, you're stressing out over the wrong thing. Don't labor for perishable things. Labor for everlasting life. Like, come after this. I got more than bread and fish. You see, while Jesus is willing to provide our physical needs, he's also greatly interested in our spiritual needs. Oh, you got to get this today because some of you are only at a physical needs level with Jesus. Like the only time you talk to him is when you need something perishable or something physical. You're not even tapping into the spiritual side of everything that's going on in your life. Thank you for all those amens. And you're selling yourself short because Jesus is always willing to meet your perishable physical needs, but he's more concerned with your deep-rooted spiritual needs. And I'm going to tell you, when you get satisfied spiritually, it's amazing what happens physically. So what they saw in Jesus is what they pursued from Jesus, which means this, that if you only stay in your relationship with Jesus at the physical level, that's all you'll ever know about Jesus is the physical level. Does that make sense? If all you ever do is talk to Jesus about your physical needs, then that's all you'll ever know about Jesus is his ability to satisfy your physical needs. 
needs. And I'm afraid we've got churches filled with people who are getting trained to go after Jesus for physical needs, but they're missing out on his ability to satisfy your spiritual needs. So they pursued that. They pursued what they know. We pursue Jesus for what we know about Jesus. You know what's amazing about youth camp is that your students get a chance to, to get a deep spiritual need met and they get to have a deep spiritual encounter with Jesus and they go all of a sudden they get woken up to the fact that, hey, Jesus can get into my heart. Jesus can get into my emotions. Jesus can settle my anxiety. Jesus can cure this. Jesus can fix this really. And I'm excited because when you get a taste of Jesus and his ability to touch something spiritual or something deep in your life, oh, my goodness, you want some more. <laughs> You're like, yeah, forget about the bread and the fish. Like, I, need, I, I, I tapped into something I ain't ever tasted before. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Jesus is constantly trying to take our hunger for natural things and turn it into a hunger for spiritual things. You know what I've realized in, in, in the gospel of John is that Jesus is constantly trying to get our heads to lift up. He's trying to, he's constantly trying to, to wake us up to the fact that you're focused on the here and now. You're focused on earthly things. Would you raise your eyes up? Would you lift your head up to the kingdom of God? Would you begin to focus on the kingdom of God instead of your own kingdom? And I'm going to tell you, things will radically change in your life when you shift your focus. If all you ever see is your problems, then you're consumed with your problems. Sometimes you need to take a recess from your problems. What if your problems are tired of you? But if your problem focused, you'll never get your eyes off of your problem. They wanted bread, but Jesus separated their want from their need because what they needed was everlasting life. So Jesus separates the wants from the needs. It's awfully prideful to determine what you need on your own. If you don't read the book and you don't talk to the author of the book and you determine your own needs, can I tell you, you're probably not hitting the mark. Because I don't believe we're capable outside of Christ of defining our own real needs. But yet every day, I need this. I need that. If this would happen, that would be great. If this would go on, that would be awesome. If we get paid this much, it wouldn't fix everything. We would all be happy if we could get paid this much. So number two, Jesus defines the need. He defines the need. Even on my best day, when I think I know what I need, and I go to Jesus with my need, more times than not, I'm off the mark. More times than not, my need is so much dramatized over what my real need is, according to him. You see, the enemy has a, a way of inflating 
your needs. He has a way of inflating your problems. In order to convince you that that is what you need. And Jesus is going, that's not what you need. Look at what he does in verse 28 and 29. Then he said to them, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. (laughs) I can see him saying it like that. Like this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he sent. Believe in whom whom God sent. Believe in me is what he's saying essentially. Believe in the one that God sent. That's your work. They were looking to do something to get something. Remember, they were after perishable things. So they're like, okay, you gave it to us free the first time. Maybe we need to do something so that we can get satisfied. My friends, that's the definition of religion. I'm a, they didn't hear me. Like, Justin heard me, but he was the only one. Like, but do I need to say it again? Or can you just say amen? They wanted to work for everlasting life. Jesus strongly corrects them by defining what the work is. Here's the work. Believe in Jesus. Dun, dun, dun. Can it be that simple? I mean, we got to work for everything else, right? You want a nice looking yard, you got to work for it. You want a clean truck, you got to work for it. You want some good groceries, you got to work for it. You want this, you got to work for it. Everywhere else in our life, we have to work for things. You want a great marriage, you got to work on it. You want great relationships, you got to work on it. You want great emotional health, you got to work on it. But listen to me, when it comes to Jesus, you ain't got to work on it. You just got to believe that what he did was enough to satisfy your soul. Then you'll start to get away from work-based relationship. Jesus defines it. Believe in me. Then he starts pushing the envelope a little bit harder. Verse 33, Jesus makes a statement that wrecks all the religious leaders. (laughs) I think he liked to do that. Verse 33, he said this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to them, or then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread. You want it always? The bread is me. Me is the bread. The bread is me. Like it's not Evangeline made. Come on, somebody. It's me. You want the bread always? Great. I'm the bread. Jesus said you need the bread that comes down from heaven. We want it always. Good. It's me. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe in me. 
You know what Jesus was saying when he said that he was the bread? Jesus was saying to the crowd, I am the supplier of life. I am the supplier of life. Not Satan, not the world, not your paycheck, not your address, not your status, not your socials, none of that. I am the bread of life. I am the supplier of life. You need more life? I got it. You got to come to me to get it. It's a continuous supply that never runs out. Jesus gives us life. It's everlasting life that we get to experience on the planet. We're not waiting to live when we get to eternity, though that's going to be incredible. We get to live the Zoe life now. We get to live this everlasting life now. <laughs> Boy, if we'd ever believed that. So he shakes the religious community real quick. <laughs> and he makes it clear to them that you've seen me, but yet you don't believe me. Do you know it's possible to see Jesus and yet not believe in him? When you read your Bible, it happens all the time. People saw Jesus every day. Not all of them believed. I'm going to push it a little bit further. Do you know it's possible to follow Jesus and then not believe in Jesus? Because some people follow out of curiosity. Not out of conviction or commitment. But that's next week's message. Because, you see, they thought or they wanted what they thought they needed, but Jesus defined what their real need was. Their real need, though they walked for miles to get more actual bread and fish, Jesus said, what you really need, it's me. It's me. You see, that's the amazing thing I've learned in my relationship with Jesus is that when my life gets all frizzled and frazzled and I have, I have those bad days where, I just kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Some days it's just almost like I forget everything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like days you just go, like, am I even saved? A bad day. I call that a bad day. I have those days. And I come back to Jesus all wrecked up, bruised up, bleeding, cut. I say, Lord, I just. You know what he does? He gives me life. He gives me life. He speaks words over me. He encourages me. He gives me life again. Why? Because he's the supplier of my life. So number two, Jesus defines the need. Number three, Jesus offers himself like bread. This is where I think the enemy gets some of us convinced that and gets things twisted in our minds because we'll start to believe that he's mad at us like our parents were mad at us and he's given us the silent treatment. And that's not true. You see, the enemy is always trying to relate Jesus and God to the way you were raised. And can I just kindly tell you, you weren't raised exactly right. None of us were. Our parents weren't perfect because their 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 parents weren't perfect. All the way back because Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Simple enough. So if we're not careful, every time we mess up, the enemy comes running in to tell us it's over. God's mad at you now. And he's either trying to convince you to work your way back to God 
or he's trying to convince you that you can never get back to God. True? How many of you know that to be true? Raise your hand. Come on, it's, it's, it's true for me. It's got to be true for you. He's just whispering it a little bit different to you because you came from a different set of experiences than I did. But here's the truth. Number three, Jesus offers himself like bread. Watch verse 48 to 51. He says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. I'm giving. I'm giving myself to you. I'm offering myself to you. That wasn't a one-time thing. Jesus' goal with the cross was not just to get you saved. He's got more than that for you. The goal is not just salvation. The goal is life. Y'all act like y'all went to camp this weekend or something. (laughs) So Jesus is offering himself to us. I love the verse in Revelation 3.20 where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say, You're knocking on my door. He said, I'm knocking on your door. He's always offering himself to us, but the enemy's got you convinced that anytime you miss a day with him or you miss a meeting with him or you slip up or you mess up or you say something stupid or you get into this dry and weary place that you can't ever come back. Like he takes his offer back. Lie from the pit of hell. He offers himself to you daily. My goal is just to break the back of the enemy off of you this morning. I ain't going to lie to you. Because he's got too many of us convinced that we can't go back. Too many of us convinced that Jesus all of a sudden closed his hands and ain't offering himself anymore. It's a lie. So Jesus is showing them that even if he provides all of their physical needs... That still won't be enough to satisfy their everlasting spiritual needs. Did you catch that? Like, did you, like, I just, like, did you catch that? So if all you ever do is pursue Jesus for your physical needs, you'll never be satisfied. Christians every day, 365, pursue Jesus to meet physical needs perishable needs and he's faithful he's faithful he's faithful to show up and meet our needs but the whole time he's meeting your physical need he's offering you something deeper but if you're not even looking for it you're not even going to receive it so as much as Jesus can provide he can feed you every day of your life three squares a day you'll still never be satisfied Life would be like eating rice cakes. Unfilling. I threw some to my chickens the other day. They even looked at them cross-eyed. They're like, 
And you want an egg for this? So the satisfaction that you're really looking for, can I just tell you this morning, that satisfaction, that dissatisfaction that lives within you, that's kind of chronic, it kind of keeps coming back around, that hunger, that urge that lives inside of you, that you're expressing it or trying to fill it in all the wrong ways, can I tell you that that thing will never be filled in this world and from worldly things, it can only be filled by your faith and your intimacy with Christ. Jesus said, believe me. That's the work. Believe me. Just believe him is what he's saying to you. Just believe that he's the bread of life. Just believe that he can satisfy you guaranteed. And get intimate with him. So if Jesus gave you everything you wanted, you would still be unsatisfied. Because you see, when physical needs are met, they never satisfy eternal hungers. I had this, this visual when I was writing this message that we, and a bunch of us are going to do this in the morning. Like we're going to get up when the alarm clock says to get up and we're going to go to that job that we really don't like. And we're going to go do some things that we really don't want to do in order to provide for ourselves and it's called work right <laughs> and I hate to ruin your Sunday afternoon but like that's coming tomorrow and and I, I saw this visual of people stand up Jay you're big like Jesus is you stand just stay right there like Jesus is stand like Jay's Jesus let's pretend Jay's Jesus for a moment Jay's becoming like Jesus though he's proud of him um, but but let's pretend that Jay's Jesus for a minute so we're, we're going to wake up in the morning, and we're going to go and pursue some things that we think that we've bought into the lie that will satisfy us. Now, do you need to work? Yes, you need to work. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat, okay? You need to go have your job. You need to go do your work. So I'm not saying that you quit your job tomorrow. What I'm saying is that your satisfaction is not going to come from your job. You need to get that right in your mind and in your heart because you'll be going to do your work for the wrong reason. And maybe your work will change when you go to it for the right reason instead of the wrong reason. Freebie. But most of us will get up in the morning and Jesus is standing in front of us offering life and we'll go right past him looking for something else. And he was offering life. Satisfaction. He's offering it to you. And we walk right past him. You can sit down, Jay. Thank you. That's the visual I saw. I can't tell you how many days I've been guilty of that. I'm not standing here like somebody who's perfected this whole thing. I get convicted on Wednesdays when I write it, and then I got to deal with it till I preach it. Then I get tested on it on Mondays after I done preached it. So I'm not sitting up here like I've, I've arrived and I got everything just right. I, I walk by Jesus some days. I'm not proud of that. So while you're looking for the next thing, Jesus is standing in front of you offering himself. Number four, Jesus starts pushing for intimacy. He starts pushing for intimacy. Jesus is pushing the envelope. He's about to cross some boundaries right now in this, in this lesson, in this, this teaching he's given. Verse 53 and 54, look at what Jesus said. He said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. Now, Kent, let's just be real honest with each other. That's kind of gross. Would you agree? It's got a little vampire feel to it, right? Like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, ah, ah, ah. Not that he did it that way, but it kind of gives me the, I ain't going to lie to you, it gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. I kind of, when I read that, I'm going, dang, dang, Jesus, like, you might have you crossed a little boundary or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then you'll have life. And it sounds gross. And many people got offended by what he said. And they got offended because they totally missed what he was saying. What is he saying? I want you to be so close to me that you're eating from my flesh and you're drinking my blood on the daily. He wasn't trying to flip them out. He was trying to invite them into a deep relationship with himself. He was inviting them into intimacy. Listen to me. Your relationship with Jesus should have graduated from Sunday morning service. I sat with a student last night after we had a big Holy Ghost moment, and like it was just, it was just incredible. And I'm sitting next to this guy. He's one of my new favorite little buddies from Jennings, and, and we're sitting next to each other. He goes, man, I love this. I said, me too, bro. I really do. I said, but you know, you can have this at home. And he looked at me. I thought he was going to say, oh, really? And he went, yeah, I know. I was like, come on, young blood. Get you some. You know how to sit with Jesus? How to have a moment with Jesus? You know how to be intimate with Jesus? And you're only 16, 17 years old? You see, Jesus was facing unbelief. They were starting to wrestle when he said, I came down from heaven, it threw, it threw a wrench in their minds and they, they started arguing with what Jesus was saying. And some of us still argue with what Jesus says today. That's why we don't read your Bibles because you argue with it too much and you just don't believe it. And so they're arguing in their minds with Jesus and Jesus is facing some unbelief and he pushes the issue even further. And he says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You got to get really close to do that. What if Jesus was saying, I'm inviting you to come close to me? And what if he's telling us this morning that what you need and what he wants is intimacy? And I know for the ladies that might not seem like an awkward word, but for some of us guys, intimacy, intimacy sounds a little different. It sounds kind of girly maybe, but... I'm a full-blown man, 100%, brutal, rough, you know, probably been toxic a few times in my life with my masculinity, but, but like, I'm a full-grown man, and I get intimate with Jesus, and I ain't ashamed of it. 
And every time I get a chance to sit with another man and call him into intimacy with Jesus, I call him into it. Why? Because that's the greatest place a man could ever be. The greatest position a man could ever have is at the feet of Jesus. The greatest thing a man can ever do is respond to, to Jesus' presence in his life through weeping and breaking of his heart and the ripping open of his flesh. I'm telling you right now, if you're not weeping with Jesus and your flesh is not getting broken open, you're probably not intimate. If you're not repenting of sin in tears before Jesus, then you're not close enough yet. If you've not sat there long enough to let him deal with your sin and your failures and your attitudes and then repent and turn from it and then that turns into praise where you get a moment by yourself with Jesus and you're praising him and everybody else in the house can hear it, can I tell you, you're not close enough. It's time to stop playing. Men, it's time to stop playing. Your families need you to lead with intimacy with Jesus. Your generations coming after you are desperately in need of your intimacy with Jesus. And everything that you need as a man is found in your intimacy with Jesus. Because I believe this statement to be true. My satisfaction as a man in my household, as a pastor of a church, as a man in this community, my satisfaction is the direct result of my intimacy with Jesus. How do you know that, Pastor Jamie? From years of experience. When I get lazy, when I get complacent, when I disagree with him, when I don't want to do what he says, when I get busy with other things that my flesh wants, I drift. I drift. I don't sit. I run. I run. I get busy with work. I get busy with things. And then I use the excuse, well, you gave it to me, so I got to take care of it. And then what happens? Get empty, eventually become unsatisfied. When Jesus offers you eternal life, he also offers you eternal relationship. They're one and the same. You remember the Bible says when you were saved or born again, you went from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. So I went from an outsider to an insider. I went from an enemy to a friend. I get eternal life. My name gets written in the book. So one day when I stand before Jesus on judgment day, it'll be a judgment for rewards, not a judgment for, for destination. And, and I'll stand before him. And, and, and I, I don't want to be the guy that stands before Jesus and barely knows him. So let me give you 12 benefits of intimacy real quick. Get ready to write. I'm going to give them to you as fast as I can. Benefits of intimacy. When, so this is when you get intimate with God, when you, when you put time, when you map out, block out time in your life 
to spend with Jesus, these are some of the benefits you get. Number one, you will hear God's voice and gain his perspective. Some of you aren't hearing his voice because you don't sit still long enough. Some of you aren't hearing his voice because you don't get quiet enough. Jesus doesn't scream. The world and the enemy does. If you want to hear his voice, you're going to have to quiet your soul. Number two, you will experience his peace. Big lesson I learned this year is that when I, when I experience peace, like in a moment, like I could be driving in the truck, I could be at, at Walmart, I could be sitting in my house, I could be in the middle of a church service. When all of a sudden I experience peace that comes like a flood, I've learned to recognize and to relate that to God's presence. Because when God's presence is in the room, peace is there. It's one of the indicators, one of many, but it's the indicator. So when you get intimate with God, when you get into his presence, peace should be the result. Number three, God will transform you and set you free. He will transform you and set you free. Maybe you won't need as much outside help when you start to get inside with Jesus more often. Maybe you won't have to contract your health because you're getting healthy in the relationship you've been invited into. Come on. I've been delivered in a quiet time, not a church service. I've been delivered in a, in a quiet time, not a counselor's office. Not a life group, not a freedom group, not any of these other groups. I've been delivered one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. He delivers. He can deliver me by myself. Number four, you will become wise. Hang out with wise people and you become wise. Is Jesus wise? Yes, Jesus is. He, look, look, look at me. Jesus is smarter than you. <laughs> look at your neighbor. Say, Jesus. Say it. Say it. Say, Jesus is smarter than you. Now turn that around and say, you too, baby child. <laughs> you will become wise. Number five, you will stay connected to the vine. You will stay. You decide if you stay connected or not. You can't use the excuse of the world. You can't use the excuse of your circumstances. Too many of you have let your circumstances disconnect you from the vine. That's foul. Because the vine and being connected to the vine is where you get life. So you'll stay connected to the vine, and you'll continue to produce fruit. Number six, you will gain a new desire. Watch this one. You will gain a new desire to love others. I've been open and transparent about my road rage issues recently. I even told the folks in Jennings so I could be really accountable. And even this week, I was tested. It's getting better. I'm starting to feel compassion for those people I want to run over. 
<laughs> Come on, somebody. Maybe God put me in the town with these tight roads so that he could wear that out of me. I don't know. But you'll gain a new desire to love others. You might even start liking your boss. Some of you might start liking your spouse. That wasn't a joke. Number seven, you will gain understand, you will understand God's character more. Only when you hang out with somebody do you start to understand their character. You'll never find out if somebody's trustworthy until you hang out with them and you're given a chance for them to not be trustworthy. And then you discover that they're trustworthy, right? You'll never understand if somebody cares about others until you hang out with them long enough to see them and experience them care for other people, right? So when you get intimate with God, you start to understand his character more. And that can fix a whole lot of problems for most of us when we understand God's character. He only has good for you. He's not trying to hurt you. If God would sneeze too hard, we would all be wiped out. You feel me? Number eight, you will receive more revelation. That's a good one. I call that one the spiritual buffet. You will gain some revelation. Some things will start to click for you. You start to go, oh, my goodness, in my life, I start, I'll start getting revelation of where Jesus was the whole time I was going through those crises and those pains and those disappointments. I'll get some revelation that he was actually there and what the enemy told me was not true. I'll get some revelation, but only in intimacy. Number nine, your faith will be strengthened. And look at me. It needs to be strengthened. All of our faith needs to be strengthened. Number 10, you will experience God's love more. Most of us are in crisis in that area. We have no clue how much God loves us. And because of that, we live our lives trying to earn love. And don't even realize it's already been expressed. Number 11, you will gain access to supernatural strength. You'll start to see things happen that you know for sure you're not able to do. Supernatural. That's beyond natural. <laughs> You'll see some supernatural. How many of you would, would love to see some supernatural things happen in your house? Come on. You got some kids? <laughs> you got one or more kids. You need some supernatural things to happen in your house. If you've been married longer than six months, you need some supernatural things to happen in your house. Amen? Get intimate with God. You'll see some supernatural things happen in your house. Number 12, you will gain God's favor. You will gain God's favor. That's a whole nother level. When you start gaining God's favor, you start walking into blessings. You start walking into things that you didn't even know was sitting there. You start walking into good times. You start walking into provision like, oh, that was already there. Wow, I didn't have to strain for that. Oh, my, look at that. What? Favor. Everywhere I go, favor. How many of you would like to have a little favor? How many of you would like to get a little favor for a change? Come on. That way I ain't got to keep asking my mama for a favor. <laughs> right, teenagers? <laughs> Just telling y'all, the day's coming. You're going to have to trust God 
not your parents. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, you're clowning, but I know how that really hit. Come on, Virginia. So Jesus is the only one who can write you and give you a satisfaction guaranteed. And if you're ever going to be in sat- if you're ever going to be satisfied while you're on the planet, you can only find that satisfaction in Jesus. You're going to have to eat his flesh. You're going to have to drink his blood. You're going to have to get that close. What does it take to be born again? It takes believing. Roman tells us you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave and then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you don't have the bread of life, like you can come to me. All you need to do is believe. But once you believe, you need to come eat. It's an offer to come and eat. It's amazing to me that we serve a king who doesn't want anything for himself. All he wants is us. He just wants you. We sang that song, All I Want Is You. Right? You know who was singing that song to? Jesus. He was singing that song this morning too. I just want you. I just want, just like you are, with everything that you got in your hands, I just want you to just come to me just like you are. standing right there. Jesus is already here. The song should be make me willing to come to you. Because the Bible tells us that he'll even help us with the desire to be with him. Because we don't even possess that alone. Come on. So if you have a desire problem, ask him to help you with that. I'm just not hungry for Jesus. I'm just not hungry to spend time with him. I just don't feel like it. I feel dry. I feel worn out. I feel distant. I feel all these things. What if you took those excuses and you said, Lord, I feel that. Would you help me with that? Then maybe we'll quit begging him to come. And we'll learn to come. Father, bless us today. I pray that every one of us has ears to hear, a heart to understand, and eyes to see you standing right in front of us. It's not judgment day yet. You're standing right in front of us, offering yourself like bread. You need to eat this. You need to drink this. Lord, help us to understand that you're the one that defines our needs. 
how prideful of us to think that we can figure out our own needs. You're standing in front of us and you're saying, eat this bread, drink this blood, offering myself to you. You don't even need to move, Lord. You're already where you're supposed to be. It's we who need to move. But Lord, some of us don't know how to move. Some of us don't want to move. Some of us don't feel like it. Lord, would you help us even with that today? to a church that believes in all the things the scriptures tell us. All the spiritual things, all the theological things, all the, the relational things. I'm glad we can cast out demons. I'm glad we can, we can have biblical community. I'm glad we can provide for each other and help one another. I'm glad we can have all these incredible things. We can understand the depths of the scriptures, Lord. But Father, the thing I pray over our church today, over this, this group of people, find satisfaction in you, Jesus, that we would discover what it is to eat your flesh and to drink your blood, that it would not just be a cute point in a sermon or a gross statement, but it would be something that we get revelation of, Lord, that would lead us into your presence, that would lead us into intimacy. bowed and your eyes closed this morning, no one looking around, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never believed in your heart that God raised you from the grave and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and you don't know if your name's written in the book of life, if that's you, would you just lift your hand real quick? Anyone in this room, I see you. Anybody else? Praise God. Let's pray this together. Come on, pray this with me. Lord, I come to you right now. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the grave. And you're sitting at his right hand. I want to make a confession with my mouth. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. But I know that the blood you shed is strong enough to wipe away all of my sin. And so I need to make this confession. You, Jesus, are the Lord of my life. I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name.